The Entrepreneur MBA podcast purpose is to help existing business owners grow their companies past the $10 million in revenue per year benchmark. Here is your host, Stephen Halasnik. Welcome, everyone. My name is Stephen Halasnik, and I am co-founder of Financing Solutions. For those of you who do not know about Financing Solutions, we provide easy-to-set-up lines of credit for small businesses. And I will be your host for today's Entrepreneur MBA podcast. If you're interested in learning more about getting a business line of credit set up for you, I've had a business line of credit for 25 plus years. I highly recommend that it's a great thing to have in place. Please visit our website at fscreditline.com. Again, that's FS as in Financing Solutions, creditline.com. Over the last 25 years, I've built six companies in the $5 million to $25 million range, including two companies on the Inc. 500 fastest growing companies in the United States. I love learning from people with business experience. And today, I'm very excited to be speaking with Mike Kading from Norhart. Mike Kading is the CEO of Norhart. They design, build, and rent apartments. They are transforming the way apartments are built and managed by incorporating technologies and efficiencies that have revolutionized other industries, leading to high-quality, cost-effective projects. Mike's parents started the business, the family business, but just a few years after Mike joined the business, Mike's dad unexpectedly passed away. All of a sudden, Mike had what felt like the weight of the world on his shoulders. Mike, welcome to today's Entrepreneur MBA podcast. Thanks for having me. So how long ago was it that you kind of got and you you had to take over the business? Well, that's just about 10 years now. 10 years. Okay. So we kind of jumped right into it. But, you know, before we got on the air, I told Mike, you know, that I I had some pretty good experience with friends who took over their family business. And they're part of my entrepreneur group that has been together for over 25 years so, you know, this entrepreneur group that I met with every uh, every month, we meet for five hours and talk about issues and so on and so forth. So I really got an inside um, scoop as to two partner or two people in my group who took over their family business in this very similar circumstance that you were talking that you're going to talk to us today about, Mike. And I know the turmoil and the issues that went on with these two people. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, everyone goes through a different uh, journey, I'm sure. Um, but what, what were you doing before you got involved with your family business? Yeah. You know, growing up, uh, we lived in the family business. So I can remember trips to the hardware store. These were our family outings. We'd travel (laughs) a half an hour out there. We'd fill up like eight carts. Each one of us in the family had two carts we were pushing around as a pipsqueak kid up to the brim put in my dad's trailer behind his car, like up to the sky, driving on the highway. I don't think it was all that safe. And then working to build some of these buildings. And so it was very small to start off. Um, but I, I grew up in it. I lived in this in this world. And then I went off to college. And deep down, like I didn't really want much to do with the family business. I went on for computer science, mathematics, special effects, virtual reality, that sort of stuff. I wanted to make my own independent dent in the universe. And uh, what I started realizing is that deep down, like I could take this opportunity as, as a chance to really make something of it, to actually impact the world in some meaningful way, to take this small business and grow it. And so that's, that's sort of where I started transitioning a little bit and being willing to work with the family business more full-time. So you, you, um, you got th- thrust now. Did you get thrust into the business because your father passed away or did, were you already involved in the business? Uh, there were a couple of years there that my dad and I worked together. So that that was very nice in having that. How, how did you feel about the business? Were you passionate about it? Were you non, you know, <laughs> was first, it just... No. Okay. Uh, for, you know, for me, I always wanted to make an impact. And I looked at a small real estate company. I thought, you know, Great. I mean, we're having an impact for a few people, but is that having a worldwide impact? Are we really, really making a dent in the universe? I just, I didn't see it. And so the the first year or so, I was very wishy-washy about the company. I would work a little bit here and there, but I was very focused on other things that I was trying to accomplish. 
And so there was there was a period of time there that I had to sort of grow up and really make a decision of what I wanted to do in this life. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's. A, I think this podcast is going to go a little longer than we normally expect because there's a lot of interesting topics here. I I see this all the time with founders of businesses, and then the next generation comes in. What? Why is it? How old are you? Thirty five. 35. All right. So I see it. Like, why is it that, that your generation, right. Feels like they want to make an impact in the, you know, like it's, it's not a great way to build a business. I Mm -hmm. I don't think, I really don't think it's a great way of building a business. Like your dad, he is it fair to say, unless he, he came from money, which doesn't sound like he did. Maybe he did. Um, it's it's about putting it's about making money, right? Now I'm not saying you can't do that in an ethical way, but when you're building a business and you're the first one doing it, it's about making money so that you can provide for your family and so that you can be your own boss. And mm-hmm. what's interesting, not to belabor the point, yeah, is when I have asked when when I've been my with my EO group, and out of the twenty or some of our guys that are in the group. Right. When I asked them, when we all ask, what is the reason why you started your business? Everyone said them said is so that they can control their own future, that they don't have to do what somebody else tells them to do. Mm. It wasn't about making a lot of money. That was secondary. It was important. But it seems that the newer generation of business owners feel that it, it's about making an impact in the world. Have you, yeah, you have any comment on that? Yeah, no, I see where you're coming from, and it's not uncommon for people to, to question me. Like I've been a part of groups that are like, really, Mike? It's about making an impact? No, no, it's it's really about making money. You know, for me, honestly, like my dad died relatively young, and I think about how short life really is. Right, we live about five thousand weeks here on Earth, and every morning, I I'm not exaggerating. Like every morning, I wake up and I ask myself, how do I want to spend the minutes I have here on Earth? Maybe I'm just wired different. Maybe I'm a little bit weird. I'm not sure. But for me, I want to make some kind of meaningful, positive impact, right? I could care less. I honestly, this is, might sound strange, but I could honestly care less about the money. I could care less about fame or the size of the company. You know, when you get to my grave, like you're not going to shovel $100 bills in my grave. Like that's, it doesn't really do anything for me. What does do something for me is the idea that I can make a positive, meaningful change in the world. Now, do you think, did you have that attitude when you, when you were working with your father or was that something that's just been developing over a period of time? Um, there's certainly been a development of it, but I would say like even at a young age, that was very much ingrained in me. Like I wanted to make some kind of big, meaningful, positive impact. But your dad wasn't that way. Uh, not, not to the same degree. I think he probably thought a little bit more like you. He wanted to build up a good, solid business, have a good, solid family life, have good time, uh, have a great retirement, but it really wasn't about making a worldwide impact. It was just about living a good life. Yeah. Yeah. So, so take me back to what were you doing with your dad when, what was your role with your dad? How big was the company? What was the revenue per year when you when you, how long ago did your dad pass away? Uh, about, about 10 years ago. Um, we had, the way we measure size in, in real estate oftentimes is the number of units. So we had about 90 units at the time. That revenue is going to be uh, maybe a million dollars a year. So pretty small. Yeah. Um, so And so your dad started it from scratch? Or he, he yes. took over, yeah. he started from scratch. That's a lot. Wow, he went to 90 units. And what, what, what got your dad involved in that business? <laughs> well, if you go way back, he uh, was kidnapped in Peru. Uh, so there's quite a story there. But uh, he ultimately <laughs> lost everything. He, he did maybe have a little bit of dreamer in him at one point because he built one of the first hybrid cars and tried to take it to market before hybrid cars were a thing. Um, but he lost everything. And he knew he needed to get a stable source of income to support his family. And he didn't want to go work for other people. So he saw it as real estate was that opportunity. Wow. Wow. And so he just 
What had he been in the construction? Well, he was handy, right? It looks sounds like, right? He he had uh, grown up on a farm, and so very much handy. And he had built a house and owned maybe a couple of apartment units when he was younger. Wow! And then um, had had you? I mean, you were a computer guy. You were in tech technology. What what made you decide to come join your dad and work with him? Uh, I think the heart of it was recognizing that I could go further. I could do more in this world if I didn't start from scratch, if I started from something. Yeah. And also yeah. realizing that I think the impact that we can make in our, with our organization is to drive down the cost of construction and thus reduce the cost of housing for everyone. And so I started to better understand what that vision and that impact in the world was. And so those two factors together kind of helped align me to focusing on this business. Now, was your dad an educated man? Like, in other words, was he computer? Uh, was he a college graduate? Yeah, he had a master's degree. Oh wow! What was his master's in, by the way? Uh, engineering, electrical engineering. Yeah, <laughs> figured you're going to say electrical <laughs> with the with the, with the hybrid car. Um, his last name wasn't Tucker, right? But <laughs> no. no, yeah. <laughs> um, so okay, so you you come on board, and um, how did it feel? To be work, did you have a good relationship with your father? I did. Yeah, he yeah. was a really good man. Yeah, it sounds like he did. Um, he comes on board. I'm sorry about the loss of your father, and I yeah. know what it's like. Uh, uh, my uh, my wife just passed away a year and a half ago, so I mean, it's you know dealing with uh, um, someone passing who's very close to you is is and at a young age is a quite a. Um, it's, it, could, it can never be explained. It can only be um, experienced. All right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, um, so you go to work for your, with, with your dad. Um, what did your dad have you first doing at first? Uh, well, when I was really young, it was things like picking up nails. Um, by high school, <laughs> I was already leading small teams within some of his projects, like a couple of guys doing miscellaneous tasks. But by... Um, by the time I got out of college, uh, we actually worked on one project together from beginning to end. It was a 120 units, so it was more than doubling the size oh, of the company. Big. Yeah. yeah, and uh, going through city council approval, getting plans put together, starting to coordinate all the subs. He's um, basically said, "Mike, go do this," and I, I tried. I did a decent job. He obviously was there to help along the way at that stage. Wow, that's great experience. So, um, did you? find that you liked it or not really? Um, you know, I liked the puzzle of it, like solving and improving the way things were done and kind of pushing the envelope on certain things. What I didn't enjoy was, uh, we did all right at it, but actually being on site, swinging a hammer, uh, being out in the cold, it was 30 below, uh, that sort of thing. It just wasn't hardwired in my blood. We now have amazing people that they love that kind of thing. But for me, I'm more of a, a thinker, a, a desk kind of person. Yeah. How did your dad end up financing that? Um, you know, we're really good about reducing the cost of construction. And so our techniques today are very different than what my dad used. But at the time, my dad, was a lot of blood, sweat, and tears. There was a lot of sweat equity. And so typically, we could get the bank to finance the majority of the project. And then uh, we might have a couple other buildings that maybe we would put a line of credit on or something to kind of bridge some of the equity gap. But yeah. for the most part, it was being financed. So, uh, so they, um, so your dad just to, for the down payment of that, because I know the bank maybe finances maybe 80%. I don't know. I don't, I'm not sure. 75%. I, I don't 75%. So the 25% that was remaining, um, he had, cash on hand and he leveraged a line of credit against the the uh, his existing portfolio well uh so i guess to get a little bit of the details the bank typically funds at 75 percent. our costs today on a project are more like 70 percent. so we can oftentimes get bank financing for more than the whole project now there's a lot of nuance there there's a lot of things that we have to do to make that happen it's, it's not just a turnkey thing but back with my dad, it was the same sort of way. Maybe our costs were like 80%. So they only had to bring about 5% to the table. Now, the bank still wanted to see collateral in some way or see some way that they knew that they were not going to lose their assets. And so what we did at the time 
took one of our eight unit building and just put that up as collateral, yep. additional collateral for the loan. And they were pretty happy with that then. And um, so, and these were, these were residential units. These were apartments. Yeah. Uh, so they were, so let me be clear. They were, were they, you were selling the apart, the condos, townhouses, or were they rental apartments where you had a re- uh, reoccurring revenue stream? Uh, it was a rental. Oh, well, that's good. Okay. Yeah. And now you have, uh, just to test my understanding, now you have 900? In that ballpark, yeah. Yeah, yeah, right there. So when you, 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 so then you went and you were, you went back to college after you did that project or you, that was after college? That was all after college. Yeah. Okay. So now how, how was the relationship while you were working with your father? How would, how was that relationship? The, the, the work father versus the home father? You know, one of my mom's uh, biggest regrets is that most of my life was work oriented, right? And so it's been very much ingrained in who I am. And so my work dad and my dad are very similar to me, right? Because it was always about work when we were getting our stuff done. And not entirely, we had vacations and things like that. Um, but as a father, he was really good about giving me space to learn and grow. Wow. Right. He saw that I had potential and let me fail sometimes, make some of my own decisions, screw a couple of things up, but learn from that. And that uh, really helped, I think, giving me that confidence and giving me some space to fail. So tell me what, what didn't go so good with the relationship while at work. Mm. You know, I, um, I think one of the challenges is that at times I didn't, I didn't know what, exactly what I was doing. For example, we were laying out uh, some units. I remember one day, and I was trying to lay out the best layout of unit I could, and I it just wasn't very good. But I didn't know where to go from there. My dad came in and said, "Mike, you need to improve these. You got to get them better." And I was almost in tears because I'm pouring all this time into it, and I've got a deadline like by two days from now to have this whole plan submitted to the city. And I'm working through the night, and uh, I was it was really kind of a rough moment for me. But to his credit, then he came alongside me and we worked late into that night, just working the plan over and over and over again to improve where it needed to be. So I think the freedom is great, but sometimes he'd have expectation that's, that I didn't fully understand. And so he didn't always, well, he came and often helped, gave the help, but didn't always give the help up front that I needed to get yeah. where he wanted me to be. Yeah. Well, I guess he certainly was doing other things too, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Now, now, in retrospect, I mean, you, you're now running the business and you see, you know, a little bit more in retrospect what he was like. Um, what What is your observation now of him? <laughs> that I've kind of turned into him. <laughs> oh. um, I, you know, I think there was, I think he was a, a like a, I don't say this lightly, but kind of a genius, right? Understanding a lot of the problem. He was very good at jumping into problems and solving them and working besides people. He was very dedicated. His whole heart was into what he did. Um, he was willing to do what it take to make things happen. And uh, I don't know, I, in some ways in my mind, I almost idolize him today, right? Yeah. And maybe that's a little bit wrong because everyone has flaws, but, uh, but yeah, I certainly look up to him. He sounds like he was a really nice guy and easy to get along with. Yeah. He was a fast talker, sometimes hard to understand, but he had a big heart. Yeah. Yeah. Are you more like your mom or your father? Probably more like my father. Um, Yeah. All right. So so take me back to, um, unfortunately, sorry, we have to talk about this, but your father passes away. What did he uh, pass away of? Uh, it was a, a, a brain cancer or a stroke caused by brain cancer. You know, yep. I remember uh, um, one day coming into the office and I got a phone call and it was from a bank that said, Mike, your your checks are bouncing to your employees, your payroll. I said, really? Like that never happens. My dad's sort of in charge of finances at the time. As I call him up and he agrees to come over and he realized he put the money into the wrong bank account. And then we had him sit down and said, okay, we just have to write a check to move it to the right bank account. And I remember sitting there with him and he went to write the check and he couldn't do it. He didn't know how to fill out a check. I was like, 
whoa, right? Like something's going on here. So I handle all that. We we uh, go to my mom's house that night and just kind of sit with him. He was kind of dazed, tired looking. Um, but then the next morning, I got a call from my mom saying, you know, my dad's not well and he's not willing to go to the hospital. And I just immediately drove over there. And uh, it was so clear that he wasn't him anymore. And I remember walking into the um, the, the the pantry, shut the door, and I just cried. I pulled myself back together and went to see my dad, helped him get his clothes on, and then helped him get off to the hospital. And that was really the last meaningful kind of connection. He did survive that initial stroke, but he just wasn't him. It was uh, he did survive for six months after that, but it it was. He was he was basically dead at that point. It wasn't it was just a shell of a person. I'm sorry. I like I said, I've been there, so I I know what it's yeah. like. Um, and I, I I've been around a lot of people who have gone through something similar, so I I get it. Um, so you come into uh, so now you had a responsibility of running that business. Yeah. Um, tell me, you know, what was going through your mind the first couple of months. <laughs> that uh, I need people around me that can support me and help me understand what I need to be doing. And so we brought on a few coaches at that time, which was fantastic. But I think if I'm being very raw and open and honest, I think there's a part of me that always questioned, am I good enough? Right. And at that time we were uh, working on a new project going through city council approvals and the project uh, it was called Emberwood. It was 112 units. And uh, the city council came in and, or the city staff shut our project down twice. I think part of it is they looked at me and said, you're just a kid. You don't know what you're doing. And I was just a kid and I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> <laughs> so they, uh, they wanted me to hire on professional support. And the real challenge there was uh, they shut down our crew. No one could come back to work until I could find someone. Well, everyone was out of a job and they would all leave unless I could get things going back up again. So I found someone within like three days. That's the worst way to find a leader. <laughs> uh, and that was really a, not a good fit. But the city liked him. So he became the sort of front as we we're doing all this work behind the scenes. And it was a real struggle. I remember at the end of that, we had a water main that was thousands of feet long, buried 10 to 15 feet in the ground. And it had a pinhole leak somewhere in the water main. It was, it was dripping like one drip every maybe five seconds. But it was, it was big enough to detect. And the excavator did not want to stay around. He had other jobs he had to do. And so I was literally out there in my nicer clothes in the ditch for days or for weeks, uh, early in the morning, late at night, just, just trying to help out any way I could to keep this excavator going to find this leak. And it just felt impossible. Um, but... We just kept at it. We eventually found the leak. And then I remember the city staff coming about a week before we had it open saying, like, there's no way. You guys are not getting approval for this project. You're just, you're terrible. Like, this is all falling apart. So, oh. uh, the final day, we had a building inspection of half a dozen inspectors. Uh, head building official was there. And uh, they inspected everything, every little detail of the project. And at the very end, we're down in the parking garage and the head building official pulls me off to the side and says, Mike, this is a tough project, but honestly, looking at it today, this is the best opening of a building that we've ever had in the city. It's like, oh. Wow, that's great. Finally, right? Like going through this journey of constantly feeling that I'm not good enough and then finally getting that confirmation of, okay, maybe I can do this. Are you, are you a religious man? A little bit. Yeah. So, did you ever feel at this point that your father was helping you or looking at you? And there's not a right or wrong answer, of course. Yeah, I think in a, in a sense of like comfort and who he was. I, I don't know if there's any like mystical force that he was kind of watching over me, but uh, but I, but yeah, having him in the back of my memory helped keep me going forward for sure. At, at what point now um, is it is it fair to say that you were still contemplating if this is the business that you wanted to be in no at, at this point 
even before my dad's death, I became pretty committed to what we were doing because I started to see the potential of what we could make this into. Well, that's good. What, what do you say to somebody who has a similar circumstance? Because I, I know two of my friends who had similar circumstances. They really didn't want to be in the business, but they were forced to run it. Sell it. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's that's right. the honest answer. Uh, honestly, like business is hard, especially leading a business is hard, especially if you want to grow a business, it's even harder. And unless you love what you do, you're not going to be great at it because you've got to have that energy to keep going through all the times you're failing, 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 failing. You just won't have that energy unless you love it. And it's, it's deeper than that. Life is short. Don't waste your life doing something you don't love doing. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. Uh, I didn't, at the time, I'm, I'm sure somebody in our group said, but I don't think it really came up. You know, I think both of these guys, I mean, one business was 80 years old. I mean, the other business was 50 years old. You know, they were both pretty good size. Well, one was a big size, you know, and they both, the, both guy, kids, uh, not guys, uh, kids, uh, the guys who came in, they're very well educated. Both had MBAs um, and, uh, you know, came into businesses where their fathers did were not educated, but they, you know, they built these businesses up. Uh, actually, their one guy had almost three generations. Um, so, so you... Um, to that what, point, what, I'll say that smarts is not enough. You really have to have that fire inside of you. Yeah. Because it's the willingness to be out there with that leak in the pipe. Like if I wasn't out there pushing that forward, we wouldn't have opened. There was no amount of smarts that could solve that problem. It was just a tenacity willing to be in the ditch. Yeah. And, you know, it, there's a lot to be said about hands on because you really learn the business from the bottom up, right? Yeah. It's, you know, there's different skill sets that come in in the business. You know, there's there's somebody who comes in when the business is really, really going and brings it to another level. And, you know, that's why I think, you know, have you, my, my question to you is, have you found that this technology edge that you had has now helped the business a lot? Oh, absolutely. It's that, it's more than just the technology. We, we have software developers in-house. We're working on new technology. So that perspective of it definitely helps. But I think the deeper element is this desire to want to change the industry, to improve it, to take it to that next level. And I think that is is the essence that's been the most valuable within our business. So you 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 you're going along with this building, um, and you know you got the inspector in there. It's, it's it continues to go on. Um, how did you what? What? How did? How did you begin to trans? Uh, how did you? How did you begin to change? What happened after that? You know, we just started to run into problems. Uh, for example, we had a plumber that came to us at one point and said, "We're tripling the price of our bid from a prior similar project to the next project we're doing." And I said, "I just can't pay that. Right? I just don't have the money for that." So. We're kind of forced into thinking about how to solve these problems differently. So one of the things we started doing was with plumbing, for example, we I just went and bought a bunch of plumbing books. <laughs> we started talking to people that maybe we could hire a plumber here, a plumber there, and then we could like to start building our own team and we could save the money. We could be back to where our costs should be. Well, it turns out that anytime you start something new, it's really challenging. Costs are actually higher. But that working through those problems and that the, the pain and the struggle, a year or two after that, plumbing now has become a, an advantage for us. The plumbing team's phenomenal, right? And now that's in-house. And so little things like that started coming together and we started realizing that, wow, we're really changing the way that we think about construction. And so now we have a different perspective that helps us see it holistically. But those are some of the changes happening at that time. Now you're, you are, by that time, how many years had you been into the business? Three, four years after your dad passed? Yeah, about that. So between the uh, five years, so now, now, you know, it's between five and 10 years. Um, When your dad passed, you had, uh, did you say 90 units or no? How many units did you have? 90, yeah. 
Or and now, uh, my dad built up 90 units and then us together built another 90 units and then I finished up another 30 when he was in that tough so state. So it's 180, it's 210. Yep. So so now you're at 900. Yes. So te- now, so tell me what's between the 210 and 900, what, what changed? Boy, that's a, that's a wide range, uh, a <laughs> wide scope of topics. Um. So early on, it was we were kind of just continuing this growth at like doubling every four or five years for the first little bit after that, and it was it was good. We were making improvements and changes. I think one of the big turning points for me was again we bring in brilliant people to tell me how I'm an idiot and how many how I how I should get better. I remember one person looking at our team and saying, "Mike, you're focused on hiring inexpensive labor. That's the wrong approach." You should focus on hiring the best of the best people. We changed that perspective. And today we literally fly people in from different states to come work here every single week. We fly them home. Uh, and it it was around you know four or five years after my dad's passing that we started to do this like deep dive of the whole company. And we we honestly changed over most of the staff. And we built on a much stronger team. And what was amazing then is they started to unlock doors and really change things and really accelerate things to the point where we started doubling more or less every every year. Not quite, but almost. And uh, that's been a remarkable ride since then. What switched in you? I mean, you had gone from, you know, kind of not sure about what your role was and, you know, trying to put out fires in a very short period of time, you went to high aspirations and changing the business model and all that. What, what switched? I think it was really about recognizing that we could make a big impact. And so once I started seeing that, I became fully committed. Uh, and then from being fully committed to where we're at today, it's there is an evolution there. It's it's learning. It's it's really fail, 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 fail. <laughs> oh, learn something new, succeed, fail, 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 succeed again, and uh, that's sort of the iterative process that we're in now. That slowly evolves our thinking and the and the way we handle things. But I th- I would say that commitment really built in early on after joining my dad, within a couple of years. The culture of the company while your dad was there was what. Family, was the f- best word. It was it was very small. We only had a, a dozen or so, fifteen employees. Yeah, um, it felt very family esque. Now the family now the the culture of the business now. <clears throat> it's about achieving great things, becoming best in the world at what we're doing. Uh, it's a very respectful, upbeat. Like it's it's almost feels a little bit like what I'd imagine. Tesla would feel like, or maybe Apple in those early days. It's it's that kind of world changing level people excited about changing the world. Yeah, funny. It's funny you should say Tesla. So I am now. Um, so there's this really good podcast called Business Wars. Oh and, yeah, I love that. Yeah, one. it's really good. And um, I what happens? I was reading. I decided to read a book about te- uh, Elon Musk because I really didn't know hardly anything about him. And and then um, I forgot what, how some I forgot how I found it. I think I was I was going heading up to a skiing trip with my kids, and I decided to Google uh, Tesla podcast or something like that. Found Business Wars, but it was a four part series about the making of Elon Musk, which I really didn't mm-hmm. know anything. Again, not only about him, but the amount of companies he was involved with, and. When you said that you changed the business model, like there was this one part I just listened to where he um, he he saw the potential for there to be a lot of problems with people holding him hostage with batteries, mm. and so he he just decided to go and uh, start his own battery factory, which cost yeah. five billion dollars, and he only had eight hundred million dollars, and so like. I've always said this to a lot of entrepreneurs. Don't worry about money. Don't worry about the money. Okay. You'll figure that out. And if you, by the way, if 
I don't say this to them, but if you, you if you don't figure that out, then you're gonna not gonna be a good entrepreneur. You mm. know, if you can't figure out the money end, uh, you know where to get it, or you know how to get around it, you're you're not gonna be successful. But that comes that problem comes up over and over and over again, especially in your business. Yeah. No, so, I love that. I love that example of the uh, battery plant. I think a lot about that one. You know, we have done that in our own small ways, but uh, not five billion, but <laughs> millions for sure. <laughs> we uh, precast concrete is an example of that. There, these are the beams and columns that build up the foundations and multiple floors of many buildings, and there's only a couple of them in the Midwest that do that. And so last year, we're like, why not just build our own? Because they were long lead times, very expensive, and so we built our own precast facility. We're now building our own manufacturing plants, right? We're st uh, we've started with wall panel production, but uh, we're, we're very much along the same lines. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, my business, I have a business partner of my last two businesses, which are still around, Financing Solutions, and I have another one called Elite Funeral Funding. Amazing business partner, you know. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we were talking, we've known each other for a long time, 25 plus years. He was in my entrepreneur group. And uh, he had a successful business before he joined me or, or I joined him, he joined me. And then I've had some successful business before him. And then we uh, either sold them or, you know, or they ran at their course. Um, and we both say that we wish we had gone bigger, that we yeah. had, that we had, if, if what, what would you say to your younger self? It was that you go bigger. I was always okay with hitting singles instead of hitting a home run, you know? So he feels the same way. So, um, so, um, so go, let's, let's go back to some lessons that you learned mm. with somebody who was, let's say you're talking to somebody like today, but you're talking to somebody who's listening and they lost, um, um, the owner of the company, you know, um, what are some, um, uh, some helpful suggestions you would make to them? You know, the first one is figuring out if that company is something that you want to do and that you actually have a passion with it. Because if you don't, it's just not going to work out. It's it's really hard to run a business. You need the passion to do that. I think the next one I would say is be okay with failure, right? I think uh, whenever we start something new, whenever we're trying something new, we are going to be terrible at it. That is just the way it works. That's human nature. That's how we are. But learn from that, grow and improve. And, and then the next one is bring smart people around you to help coach and mentor you. I had a lot of great mentors I work with. And that's probably one of the biggest assets I have had is just a willingness to receive that feedback. It's hard to, to find out you're screwing something up. It's hard to learn that you're an idiot in some way. But it's so powerful to learn that and then to change your behavior. And then maybe the last thing is hire the very best people. Don't compromise on that. It sounds expensive. Yes, it is, but it's actually less expensive when you look at what they're producing. Yeah, I um, I'll add some comments to that too. On the last one in particular, which is, um, I remember when I started my second company, right? And you know, I, I was how old was I? Thirty three. Okay. I started my second company and it, it did really well financially. It set up myself to start my other companies, but it did really well. But <clears throat> I was so bad at hiring, <laughs> you know, I, I, I was so bad at it. So then when I started my third company, I, you know, not only was I bad at hiring, I, um, I, I didn't like the people I worked with. Oh. Right. And so the third company, I said, I'm going to be really, we're going to be really good at hiring people who fit well, who are, you know, that, that fit into our culture. So we defined our culture before the company began. Um, we, uh, we made sure we, we professional, I say we, I was, I owned it, but I'm, you know, I don't like saying I, I like saying mm -hmm. we, right. We, um, prof what we did was we professionalized the hiring process. Mm -hmm. So I read three books on it. I took courses. I, you know, 
did everything I could to make sure we had a good process down, you know, so on and so forth. We really did a good job. And then I had incredible people working for me. Yeah. And I really liked them. Right. And our turnover was, was real down. The people loved working for the companies. You know, we, we, you know, we did a lot of the, the right things and, and I really built a great company there. And, you know, that experience helped me through the fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh company. Um, so great I agree with people you. People make, make a great company. It really all comes down to people. It's shocking how, like how much that is so true for me. Yeah. And I, I think what I would say to you, everybody is it's, it's, it's really, uh, it's a, it's a professional process yeah. of hiring the right people. You, you often would say, especially for the roles that I was looking for, it was finding a needle in a haystack. Yeah. It was, you really, you have to go through a lot of people. Um, you have to really refine your process. You have to have job descriptions. You have to measurements. You have to have, um, criteria you have to have check-ins you have to have good managing uh techniques you have to have um a a, a company's defined culture and purpose and i mean this all didn't happen from day one i'm not suggesting that but i mean i think you and i are talking about the same thing right yeah absolutely and um so now where you where do you think you're going from here Our, our dream is to drive down the cost of housing, right? And to do that, you have to solve construction. If you look at many industries like agri- or, uh, manufacturing, they've improved labor productivity by 760% over the past 60 years. Agriculture, it's been 1,500%. During that same time period, construction has done just 10%. It's been flatlined. This industry has not evolved in the past 60 years. And so... We're just taking those techniques and bringing that into our space, and we're already about 20 to 30% less than other developers building similar buildings in similar locations. We think we can achieve a 50% reduction in cost. Think about what that means. That means someday your rent could be half, or your mortgage payment could be half. Now, one question we often get at this point is, well, does that mean you're offering lower rents to your residents today? No, and it's intentional. If we offered lower rents to our residents today, that means a few thousand people would get discounted rents. We'd improve their life. But our thinking is national. We want to expand the manufacturing capacity of construction up to the point where we are then producing so many units to the marketplace that supply and demand factors hit and the price comes down for everyone. And that's what we're working to build. So the next 10 years, our goal is to hit 192,000 units under management with a construction pace of 60,000 units per year. So do you become a construction building, a construction company, no, a building materials company instead of a um, a, a, a building uh, rental company? I don't know what the right terminology is. You, mm-hmm. Because if, if you're forcing yourself if the biggest component of the housing costs is construction costs and someone else can, can, just like the battery example that I use with Elon Musk, I mean, I'm belabored. This is going on yeah, too yeah. long. You know what I mean, right? Yeah. So, so are you now, do you think your business might switch? Let um, everybody else build the buildings, but you produce cheaper costs for them? Well, the way we think about it is we basically want to build the manufacturing facility that produces apartments, right? Yes. But at a massive scale. Uh, so this isn't actually a building. There's a lot to it. But uh, that's what we're thinking about. We want to build the system that builds buildings. You know, Elon Musk talks about it, how building a car is hard. Building the system that builds the car is so much harder. Our industry has not really built out a fantastic system. And then we could do a lot better. And so that's what we're working to build. For us, we really just have three core strategies, and these likely won't change. The very first one is all about people. If we get that right, everything else kind of falls in place. If we get that wrong, we fail. So we want to build amazing work environment. Number two is thinking about disrupting how we uh, provide apartments. And so we actually have a team right now reimagining the way people can live 
in apartments. And that's really cool. We want to push that forward, like the iPhone of apartments. And then the strategy number three is disrupting the construction industry. It's driving down those costs. So those are the three things we're really working on. Um, how come you haven't moved into um, prefabbed apartments? Uh, we are a little bit. Um, the challenge is, so you have a variety of prefab. Uh, the fullest extent in the moment you're thinking about is volumetric, where they produce an entire unit and then ship it. Uh, the companies that are doing that today, and we've talked to a number of them, they do not actually lower the cost yet uh, because there's added costs in delivering full volumetric. You have to build it up at a higher standard. Uh, you got shipping and transportation costs, which are not de minimis. Um, so that could be our end, end result. It's not immediately clear to me that is the end goal. For sure, prefabbing more of it is on our radar. And so right now we're producing all the wall panels in a factory. So you have the entire exterior done, the siding, the vapor barrier, insulation. They can just drop those in place. Um, so it's it's going to be somewhere between that and full volumetric is where we're going to land up. But what's going to drive us is what actually drives down costs, not just what's a great headline. You know, Mike, I have to say this. Your dad would be so proud of you. Mm. Uh, he, yeah, he, he's looking at you now and he's, uh, he is, he's like, wow. He's, he, I'm, I'm sure he's taking credit too. He's saying, I knew he was going to do good. He should take credit. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't be what I am without him. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, how, 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 um, how old are you now? 35. You're 35 and you, wow. And you joined your dad at 25. Um, yeah. And wow. So you got a big jump between. You got a lot more years left there. Um, wow, it's, it's going to be pretty impressive. One hundred ninety thousand units, uh, and then I'll be interested to see where you go from there. Well, good for you. What, yeah, what, I appreciate that. What? What? Uh, before we go, what else would you say to our listeners in regards to this topic? You know, I I've hit on this point multiple times today, but. I, the biggest point for me, the biggest life lesson I've ever learned is hire the best people. Yep. Bring in world experts. We we fly in uh, literally world experts at different niches. For example, concrete. Uh, we found a guy who's a savant at concrete. He can create concrete that cleans itself. Right, The average concrete engineer can't do that kind of level of concrete. So finding the very best helps you develop and push things into a new realm. Uh, maybe one more thing is be bold, right? Kind of like what you mentioned. I've heard a lot of leaders say that say this. They wish they had pushed it further. They wish they had taken home runs rather than just uh, singles. And so there have been many instances where we could have taken it easy and not pushed quite as hard, but I'm glad we pushed in the harder realm. We're just in a better spot today, even though it's painful going through that. We're just in a better spot today. We have a better chance of impacting the world. Are, are most of the departments that you that you're done? I know you're in Minnesota. Are they in Minnesota? Yeah. So all of our apartments today are in Minnesota. Although we have a manufacturing facility in Wisconsin, we're expanding now our apartments into Texas. We're also working at a manufacturing facility in Mexico. Last question: um, Where do you think you have to develop as a business person? So many areas. <laughs> um, one of the ones I have to actively work on is really focusing on human connection. I think my innate who I am is all about like results and systems and producing a, all the things we have to get done. <clears throat> I need to spend more time taking a step back and saying, how are you really doing? How, how's the family? How's the kids, right? And remembering those things and, and building relationships at that kind of level. That's, that's probably where I struggle the most. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, listen, I had this manager a long time ago. He was amazing at remember people's names. Yeah. Right? I'm really good at remembering details about people's lives, you know? So, you know, I'm really good at that and it makes me personable because of that. But I think it st started from this guy who just really, he became um, senior vice president, second in command at Xerox. Oh, wow. Yeah. So he was, you know, I was with him. He, he was my boss's boss when I was 21 years old. And I worked for eight years for Xerox. 
And I started my own companies after that. But he went on to be the second in command of Xerox, which is, you know, wow. Xerox was the Google of its day. So, yeah. but he, you know, he was so good at that. So I agree with you. I think the ability to be personable um, not only makes people feel really good about you, but it also personalizes your business for yourself and makes it less about the dollars and cents. And uh, which I'm not kind of con- contradicting myself, but, you know, as you, as your business gets bigger and bigger and bigger, there's other factors that starts to drive you, you know, being, yeah. being a good boss, being, keep creating a good company, helping your employees. You, you don't have to be so, oh, we're going to make all this money and stuff like that. You can, you can turn the corner to being a better person, right? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, listen, it was a great conversation. I definitely would tell you from my standpoint, it was one of my more interesting uh, podcasts. Um, Wonderful. And, you know, you're, you're a great guest. So, Mike, uh, I wish you all the best of luck. I don't think I need to tell you. I think you're going to do really well. Although, I have to say, have you, you, you weren't, you didn't go through the 2008 recession. So, that, that would have been rough. I think. Oh, we, that's when I was building. That was, that's when we were building our first. That's when you were building. After my dad, yeah. Well, you went through a tough period. I remember that one well. Yeah. So, all right. Well, very good. I'd like to thank so very much, Mike Kading from Norhart for coming on to today's podcast. And if you like today's podcast, please feel free to share it with a friend and also subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. Please also give us a review of uh, today's podcast. If it's five star, it really helps us get the word out. And of course, if you need a line of credit for your business, you can call us at 862-207-4118 or visit our website at fscreditline.com. That's FS as in Financing Solutions, creditline.com. Mike, if anyone gets in touch with you, how would they go about doing that? Yeah, you can visit our website. That's norhart.com. That's N-O-R-H-A-R-T.com. We have two interesting things there. One is a new invest platform for those interested. And lastly, is we're starting up a new podcast called Becoming a Unicorn. It's about the journey of small businesses growing to billion-dollar enterprises. Cool. Well, that's great. I'll listen to it. So I think I think my takeaway for today for everybody is uh, from Mike is that you have the ability to fall in love with your business too. It may not be at first, but it can happen. So maybe sometimes you also have to stick it out a little bit. And I think that's what we saw with Mike a little bit today. Everybody have a great day.